it's especially at times where you go, oh, you know, you're stuck in writing or you, or you get stuck at a part and you just need some advice or something. Can you go, no, there's a really, there's a real need for this research. Um, and, that, and then there is that, that story, story and the legacy around why this research is being conducted. That was the voice of Ashley Marshall, the guest on this episode of The Knowledge Mill. I'm your host, Greg Yoakum. Ashley Marshall is a sport administrator, sport event professional, and qualitative researcher. Ashley's PhD research at the Institute for Health and Sport at Victoria University focuses on how national sporting organizations can maximize opportunities for elite women athletes who need to suddenly transition to a second career. She was awarded the Amy Gillett Foundation Research Scholarship to undertake this research. Ashley has a passion for research that aims to benefit the sport industry, particularly in relation to opportunities for women and girls. She's based in Brisbane, but enrolled in a university in Melbourne, so all aspects of her PhD have been completed online, coursework, meetings with supervisors, and interviews with participants. In 2022, she won Victoria University's Visualize Your Thesis competition, an international program that challenges graduate researchers to present their research in a 60-second audiovisual explainer. Ashley has worked at state and national sporting organizations in Australia, as well as the Federal Agency for Sport, the Australia Sports Commission. She completed her undergraduate studies, a Bachelor of Arts with Honours in Sports Studies and a Bachelor of Science in Human Movement Science at the University of Queensland, but traveled to Greece for her master's degree. There, she completed a Master of Science in Olympic Studies, Olympic Education, and the Management and Organization of Olympic Events. This degree is organized and awarded jointly by the University of Peloponnese and the International Olympic Academy, a.k.a. the IOA. The IOA premises are located in ancient Olympia, just down the road from the ancient Olympic Stadium. Ashley is passionate about women and girls' participation in sport. She coaches both netball and badminton to girls aged 12 to 18 and teaches swimming to children aged from 3 onwards. She likes to keep physically active herself and swims 2 kilometers most days. Ashley and I spoke after the final day of the 2022 Conference of the Sport Management Association of Australia and New Zealand, a.k.a. SMANS. We met for the first time only a few days before and immediately discovered we were very good at making each other laugh. Because I can't help myself, I've included an outtake of these shenanigans at the start of this episode that will surely put a smile on your face. At the time of the podcast recording, Ashley was a second-year PhD candidate. Presently, she's a third-year PhD candidate and is working towards submitting her thesis within the next six months. This episode of The Knowledge Mill was recorded on December 2nd, 2022, on the campus of Swinburne University of Technology during the 28th Annual SMANS Conference. Show notes, including links to more information on some of the topics that Ashley and I discuss, can be found at theknowledgemill.com episode 5. That's episode and the numeral 5. But you never know. Exactly. We're, go, we're going into wild territory now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's stop for a, a, a moment of silence. Because <laughs> this and mourn episode, the episode <laughs> already died. <laughs> Before it, it's even recorded. <laughs> Have you listened to the um, podcast and they just... Everyone just starts laughing. Yeah. So, and then, like, you are listening, walking yeah. along by yourself, laughing, you at laughing at them laughing. Yeah. Like, people think I'm weird now because... I always feel bad whenever, you know, I am doing that and I'm walking and I'm just very calm, but then they make me burst out in laughter <laughs> and I'm just, like, in a train station. <laughs> just, <"Bleh." laughs> 
Come okay, I promise. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I startled That's you. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, let's stop just for a second so there's okay. clear air, and then I'll start. Hello, Ashley. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice to be here. We are here at the 2022 SMANS Conference, the Sport Management Association of Australia and New Zealand, on the campus of Swinburne in Melbourne. And I would like to start our conversation where I always start, which is to hear your story of how you came to find yourself doing a PhD. Okay, well, thanks, Greg, for having me. Um, so my name is Ashley, and I am a PhD candidate at Victoria University. Um, I'm two years in, so I just completed my mid-candidature review in September. And how I started this journey, um, in 2022, I was actually overseas. I was meant to be working overseas for 12 months and I'd left Australia on the 28th of January. And at that time, sounded great. I was gonna be in the Solomon Islands for 12 months. Ooh. Yep, and then very quickly, well, we all know what happened in 2020. Mm -hmm. And eight weeks, exactly eight weeks later, um, I was on a plane back to Australia. So um, I was on an Australian government contract. I, was, um, I had a project with the Australian Volunteers for International Development. And yeah, all looked great in January. Um, it had taken about six months to get everything ready for that because we needed medical clearances and visas and things like that. So that's something I had sort of been planning since July 2019. Finally got on the plane, got to Honiara and the Solomon Islands. Was looking really great, but then yes, very quickly messages were coming through that there's these things going on in the world. And then once um, the Australian um, government put the travel restrictions up to level four, anyone that was contracted on this program had to come back to Australia. Yeah, right. Yeah. So then, um, obviously, had to come home. And then we, that was when anyone that had been overseas needed to stay in their house for two weeks. Um, so I had to come back. Um, just had to say, Mum and Dad, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't lived at home for 17 years, but I'm here. <laughs> and I'm not leaving the house for two weeks. Um, yeah, so sitting around going, okay, am I going to go back to Solomon Islands? What's happening here? And then obviously just, I was about to say kept progressing, but nothing was progressing, obviously. We right. weren't going back to the Solomon Islands or anything like mm. that. So um, then it was like, okay, what do I do? So in 2020, um, obviously sport wasn't happening, especially in Australia. Um, and I am a sport administrator, so I had been working in the industry for 15 years. Um, and obviously there was no job prospects. All the job boards were completely empty for sport administrators, so it was like, okay, what am I going to do now? And I had, just before going to Solomon Islands, I had been thinking, what am I gonna do? Like, yep, I'm gonna go to the Solomon Islands for 12 months, but what am I gonna do after that? And I had thought, oh, maybe I'll start doing a PhD, that sort of thing. So I kind of had looked around at a few things, Not, nothing in depth, I'd spoken to a few people. Um, so then in 2022, when I was back at my parents' house, no job, <laughs> no, no job prospects at the time, um, I thought, okay, maybe I'll look into this PhD um, scenario a bit more and bring that forward. Anyway, so what happened was I was on Twitter one day and um, my now supervisor, Claire Hanlon, had actually put a tweet out saying, 
anyone that would be interested in undertaking a PhD, potentially got some scholarships available, um, contact me if you're interested. So I sent her a DM and <laughs> here we are. Right. Yep. Academic Twitter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you talk a bit about the, the work that you're doing then within this scholarship? Yes. So um, my project is called Maximising Opportunities for Elite Women Athletes Who Need to Suddenly Transition into a New Career Beyond Elite Sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you just mentioned, I do have a scholarship for my project. So the scholarship is um, through the Amy Gillett Foundation as well as Victoria University. Um, so the Amy Gillett Foundation is a foundation that was started um, after the death of Amy Gillett, who um, was an Australian cyclist and who passed away with, um, when she was training with the Australian um, cycling team, road cycling team in 2005. Um, and there was a, a car crash that um, she unfortunately passed away. And there was also seven teammates at the time that were injured very, very badly in that, in that crash. Um, so after that, um, Amy's parents and her husband at the time, they started this foundation, which is for road safety for vulnerable road users, so cyclists, pedestrians, etc. Um, but my research is not in road safety for vulnerable users, um, f- sorry, vulnerable road users. Um, my research is obviously in elite athletes, specifically women, and specifically that transition into something beyond the, beyond elite sport. Um, and But especially when their athletic careers have finished earlier than they had planned or something's happened mm-hmm. and just things haven't gone to plan. So, so what do we do Any now? Injury or... Injury, deselection, um, any number of different reasons that I'm, I'm finding out. Um, mm. I'm actually doing interviews um, with retired athletes. And so kind of that's kind of been brought about by... Amy's teammates at the time because they were involved in the crash Mm -hmm. Um, and as I said some really horrific injuries and that meant that um, lots of rehabilitation and things but it was just needed some support in what do we do now if we can't get back to cycling. Mm. Um, Yeah so I've yeah very grateful I've got a scholarship um, to help from the Amy Gillett Foundation to get this research underway. Yeah, Yeah excellent. And so you mentioned you're doing interviews at the moment. How far along, where, where are you in the PhD process? Um, so I am very near the end of my data collection stage. So I've currently interviewed 13 retired elite women athletes. Mm-hmm. I'm also re- um, interviewing representatives from national sporting organisations. Um, and just to try and understand the support that those national sporting organisations provide to elite women athletes... Um, when they are in a situation where they can no longer compete for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. And so are you able to speak to your findings at all? Is, is there uh, anything you can share with us in regard to what you are finding in terms of that support that's offered or maybe in some cases not offered? Yeah, okay. Um, I haven't analysed all of my data yet. So mm-hmm. I, originally I did a document um, analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through and looked for um, documents from national sporting organisations that um, outlined any support that is provided to athletes um, in their transition, with their transition out of elite sport. Um, I was looking specifically if there was any sort of support for women athletes. Um, 
but the support is provided to all athletes. Um, mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be a lot of differences at this stage. Right. Um, and also I was looking if there was any differences in support between um, if an athlete retires, like plans their retirement, or um, if there's a difference between that and if it, retirement occurs suddenly earlier than they expected um, mm. and that sort of thing. And that well, at this point, there doesn't seem to be any difference even though the research that um, I'm using in my literature review um, says that athletes that do have to retire suddenly because of an acute injury, deselection, etc., actually they feel like they, well not feel like, they experience um, more crisis with that, that transition out of sport when their retirement has occurred suddenly. Okay, yep. interesting. Yep. And, and there has been quite a lot of... I'm, I'm sort of across this at a high level and I'm, I'm across it enough to know that this is a continuing problem mm-hmm. uh, for athletes that there's not the support in place uh, there's not the post-career planning as such uh, in, in different sports it's yep. different levels mm-hmm. uh, it, are you surprised by anything that you found or um not sure I would say I would be surprised I would say that they're on paper. Um, there's a lot of commitment to supporting athletes um, in in this scenario, in this phase of their careers. Um, but I think when you get down to it, um, how that support is provided, if that support is being provided, but also how that support is potentially being received and the take-up of that support, mm. um, it's probably not doesn't marry up together. So is there, the onus is a bit on the athlete to take advantage of what is there? A um, bit of column A and a bit of column B, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say, yeah. As I said, I've been speaking with representatives from national sporting organisations as well and they've said one of the biggest barriers is that um, the connection with the athlete and, um, yeah, whether they want the support, whether they're um, connecting in with those services that are provided whether they want those services i mean a lot of the a lot of the people have said no that's fine i don't need that support i you know have other support systems or mm-hmm. that's just something i should naturally know how to do um but yeah a lot of the barrier one of the biggest barrier is that sort of uptake of support and the connection in with that sort of athlete well-being space um that's being heavily promoted at the moment is there maybe a little bit of uh uh, on the part of the athlete, a, a lack of a willingness to acknowledge one day I will have to hang up the boots or hang up the the helmet, <laughs> as, it, um, as it were, in cycling. And so they don't want to, sort of like how people don't like to, you know, the, they think it's morbid to pre-buy their yep. grave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you see what I mean. Yes. No, um, that's, yeah, no, that's really interesting as well because, um, again, from speaking with representatives from the national sport organisations, um, yeah, they've also said it's very difficult to get athletes to talk about their retirement, what they're going to do mm. after sport. They just don't want to focus on that, even though, yes, everyone knows that that's going to happen at some point, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's in 10, 15 years' time. Um, yeah, that is another sort of barrier is mm. this. Yeah, I don't want to think about that at the moment because right now I'm doing what I need to do. Yeah, yeah. and for elite athletes as well, anything that's not – maximizing their performance is a distraction yep. so that, that's sort of the way they're trained is to have the tunnel vision and just yep. yeah uh as well 
it, it occurs to me there's also an issue with, uh, well, I'm not, not sure if issue is the right word. I'm not even sure if problem is the right word, but it seems like a problem that uh, elite athletes in particular, they're often identified at a young age, uh, maybe even before they graduate high school. And you're, you, you have this one track mind, you're very zeroed in on maximizing my performance in this one sport, you're specializing, strength and conditioning, the whole thing. Uh, and your whole life is playing this sport. And so even if you were to take advantage of structures, uh, programs in place, like maybe even, uh, I know in some like footy codes, they have the under 20s players have to work part-time or study part-time. Uh, you may not even know what you want to do. In, in term, even if there was an apparatus in place to help you find a job yep. after, you haven't even thought about mm-hmm. what you want to do. Yep. Yeah. Um, how are you... How are you? We, we talked about before we before we started recording. Uh, we talked about how, unlike I would say probably most PhD students, mm-hmm. your subject was handed to you. Mm-hmm. How has that influenced the way that you've undertaken the process? Ah, okay, yeah, that's a really interesting um, question. Thanks, Greg. I think it's probably helped me because I think if I got to um, choose and design my own sort of topic, I think I would. have would have just spent so much time trying to work that out and going through the literature and finding where the gap in the knowledge was. I think that um, really, I think that would have been a really long process and I probably would have <laughs> never actually, you know, got to the starting line. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. so I think the fact that it was, um, you know, advertised and things like that um, helped me mm-hmm. um, because, yep, that's your project and that's, um, yep, that's what you're going to be working on. I was just given the topic though. So all the um, des- research design that mm-hmm. was that has been up to myself in consultation with my supervisors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's been interesting. Yeah, there's be- definitely been times where I've gone, oh, why am I doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about this topic, um, but I think I'm past that now. I think that's very yeah. much at the start of when you do your PhD. Yeah. Um, when you're delving, you're trying to find articles going, oh, there's actually not much information here. Mm. Um, this is really hard to write a literature review. But then once you get there, you go, well, that's why I'm doing the PhD. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's, there's I'm meant to be filling this <laughs> exactly. gap. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd say that's probably one of the things at the start. I was a bit, um, I don't know what the word, frustrated. I don't know if I was frustrated, but I was a mm. bit like, is it, how, yeah, this, this topic that I've got, because it is about that sudden transition, not, um, that's, that's the, yeah, the actual the yeah. focus on it. Um, and yeah, as I, as I said, the, there wasn't, you know, there's articles, there's been research to show that athletes that have um, a sudden transition or are forced to retirement, um, yeah, they experience a higher crisis than um, athletes that have planned mm-hmm. when they will retire. Um, but, yes, there hasn't been any research into how do we support these athletes then that, you know, have been through this experience? Mm-hmm. Or what, what difference... What different support do they need than the athlete that knows they're going to retire after this Olympic cycle, after this competition year, um, and that sort of thing? Yeah, right. Yeah. And so is your – because the way you were described, Claire tweeted out that she has a couple scholarships for this project. Are there a few other people doing PhDs kind of in, in a related way? Like are there a couple of you working on the same kind of thing or – What's that um, set up like? No, it's just the one PhD. Okay. Um, so the Amy Gillett Foundation has actually provided um, p- funding for PhDs previously. I think I'm about the third student. Mm-hmm. But the other, the other PhDs haven't been 
um, sport related. As I said, they have a, their main focus is on um, road safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yeah, so they, they have definitely provided PhDs, but in other areas. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just, just me on this one, but being here at the conference, you sort of, you see other people presenting um, their research, which is obviously not the same, but they have elements. Um, so there's the rise in um, professionalisation of sport for women mm-hmm. um, as well. So I've made a few connections there, people I need to chat with further. Um, and then that athlete wellbeing and retirement, that transition stage as well. So Yeah, nice yeah. one. That's that's the value of a, of a conference like this, hey, and... It's also dangerous because you start seeing elements of your research in a lot of different places, and then you're right back in that trap of the, being in the literature, and it never ends. And <laughs> that's right. And yeah. I, even I was in one earlier, and their references from this year, and I thought, oh, I haven't seen that. I've got to go and find that reference oh, now because I need go. that in my literature review. Yeah. As well. So. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I like about uh, about a conference is that you often see people talking about research that they know is coming, like it's maybe just finished peer review or whatever, but you get all the goss on it before it actually comes out in the journal, maybe six months from now, mm-hmm. uh, and you can incorporate it and yeah, be ahead of the curve. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to know because you said you were working in industry before you started the PhD. Yep. Uh, now that you are into it as deeply as you are, are you feeling any? motivations to maybe go the academic route or are you treating this kind of like a job for now and see where you are um yeah great question again (laughs) um because i don't really know what i want to do in a couple of years time when i'm finished Mm. um and the irony is that is that my phd is in that transition um into what's next (laughs) that's right (laughs) that's right you should be expert on this I (laughs) i should be the expert and i should be getting all these great insights and then going, yep, this is exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Um, so I worked in the sport of badminton for six years at the state level and then I also worked at the Australian Sports Commission for five and a half years after that. Mm. Um, and a lot of that focus was in um, sort of governance and um, capability of sporting organisations. Um, so my PhD, yes, it, I mean, my, the PhD, my PhD... Um, is actually on the focus is on the organisational support. So um, when I speak about my PhD, um, people kind of always their first focus is on the athletes, and that's obviously that's why I'm talking to the athletes. But I, I'm talking to the athletes to to understand what exactly it is they need from the national sporting organisation mm-hmm. to help with this transition. So yeah, that that organisational capacity. Um, space that I have actually worked in previously um yeah it's really yeah it's a really it's a it's a huge part of my PhD which is probably something when I went into it I didn't really think that I would have such a a huge um connection already to Mm -hmm. but it is um but then it also there's obviously this big athlete well-being space as well um yeah, so I'm not totally, can't tell you, I, will, I have my own career plans at, at, as yet, unfortunately, even though that's the whole purpose of my PhD. Oh, you're worried about everyone else's That's career. right, exactly. <laughs> Happy to talk to everyone else and give, you know, talk things through with everyone else. But um, yeah, it's almost like that bit where I just said before how athletes don't want to talk about what they're going to do next. Mm. I actually feel like that. Yeah, like yeah. I honestly enough. feel like that at the moment where... Don't ask me what I'm going to be doing in two years' time because I don't know. 
That's part of the reason that I, uh, I've i probably told this story at every podcast I've recorded so far, but one of the reasons I wanted to do this, if not the main reason, is I really missed doing my PhD. It was uh, up until my son was born, right after I finished, the happiest time of my life. Uh, because you just never get that intellectual freedom again, even within a structured scholarship role yeah. like the one you have. You still, as you said, are designing your own experiments, deciding who you're going to interview, what you're going to talk about, what direction that's going to take. Uh you never have that again, even if you yeah. stay in academia. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've had um, another professor actually say that to me. He said, you'll never be in this scenario again, so just enjoy it and make yeah. the most of it. Even though it might be stressful and go, why am, I, why am I doing it at this point? But just you'll look back on it and go, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, it was really beneficial. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, and if you go back into industry, you'll, have, you'll be very well-rounded. It, whether you go into academia and you bring your industry experience with you, which your students will love and value, you'll immediately be their favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, because not very many academics, uh, myself included, I had worked in management before, but not sport management specifically. Okay. Uh, so I can't bring that kind of real world experience to what I'm teaching. I just have my anecdotes from the people who I've spoken to through my research, uh, which is valuable, of course, but the questions I asked were very targeted toward my research, not necessarily about what it's like to work within this organization. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that I think if you were to go back into industry, then you also have, as you said, you've now been immersed just at this conference in concepts of well-being. Uh, maybe people who are more focused on the athlete rather than the organization. You're, you're in a, an ecosystem now, an mm -hmm. ecosystem of ideas. Yeah. That, uh, which that, uh, I'm, I'm going to trademark that ecosystem of oh. ideas. That'll be the first Ma bumper sticker for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the quote, but the quote's from you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It can't be from me. Yeah. <laughs> can't, uh, can't tease people with, with my quote. Um, that'd be a very cruel tease because then I barely talk the rest of the, <laughs> where's the other guy? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I think you're in a very unique position. I don't think you could go wrong either way. You can truly just follow your heart. Mm -hmm. which is nice. Yep, cool. You should be doing my PhD. No. <laughs> That's the advice bit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, yeah. I mean, as you say, not you're, you're looking at that sudden transition. Not everybody gets that. It would be like if someone, if the scholarship rug got pulled out from under yeah. you and you had to stop the PhD tomorrow. Yeah. Well, like, it's, what would you do? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's almost a bit like being made, like having your position being made redundant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people have been through that um, in the last couple of years. So, yeah. yeah, you think, yep, everything's going well, and then all of a sudden, not so. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and maybe um, with the added trauma of a horrendous injury and yeah. rehabilitation on top of it. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's very full on. Yeah, <laughs> yes. How do you, on that note, how do you balance, surely you've heard some, some heart-wrenching stories in your interviews how do you kind of keep afloat and yeah that's a really great question um one of the very first um interviews i conducted the interviewee actually gave me advice oh, okay <laughs> um because they had worked in the industry for a very very long time and the advice was like you need to you're going to probably hear some really not great traumatic stories um and that would be even for you as the person interviewing like that, that's a lot um so you need to you know look after yourself and, and things like that but so don't like organize all of the interviews back to back um sort of thing but even 
don't organize them so they're all you know in the same week and things like that mm. just because yeah some of the, the, the stories are really not nice um just around what actually happened and the support and things like that or the support um you know that they received or the support that they didn't receive or the support that um they were receptive to or the support whether it was um the support they needed or the or right like whether the support was on the mark or off the mark sort of thing right. so um yeah that was some advice i was provided with um at the very start as and i said did by you follow <laughs> that advice or yeah yeah okay. yeah actually uh, yeah definitely <laughs> it's um, good advice yeah it's good advice but it's also <laughs> because it's actually been quite difficult to find um participants for my project mm. um and it's not because people don't want to be involved um it's actually because how do i find these people so the nso part sorry national sporting organization representative that's that's fine because we know who they are um we can look up email addresses that sort of thing but when it comes to um the retired athlete cohort it's been quite difficult because a lot of the time you don't know how the reasons why people have retired from a sport um you know sometimes most of the time they're not published um a lot of times you know these people these athletes are no longer involved with the sport um so how yeah that's actually been one of the the biggest barriers isn't the right word it's one of the hardest things is actually being trying to recruit um Mm -hmm people to be involved especially in that athlete cohort yeah um it's the finding and also having people be comfortable telling me who they don't know their stories yeah 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 because you're talking about what is maybe the worst chapter of their life yeah Yeah. exactly and i'm also um interviewing athletes that have retired from 2014 onwards so um that's Still fresh. Yeah, yeah, especially even going back to 2014, like, that's, yeah. But it's in, the, in the people that I'm talking to, that's a really, yeah, it's very close and really fresh in their minds. And a few have said, if you had spoken to me within th- three years of um, me retiring from my sport, I wouldn't have, no, not if you'd spoken to me. The response was, I wouldn't have spoken to you. Right. Because I didn't want to talk about it. Mm. Yeah. And fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you are finishing your data collection, you said, yeah, uh, where, where to from here? Like what, what are you looking at in terms of your analysis and, and have you thought about what implications this might have in terms of making some meaningful change? Yeah. Um, yes. So finish off the interviews, um, this year, which is only a few weeks (laughs) for the year now. (laughs) And, yeah, so then go through all the transcripts and code them. So I'm doing qualitative research, code them, and then, you know, obviously all the research, academic stuff, Mm -hmm. um, themes, et cetera. Um, Like every person I've spoken to um, in the interview stage has said, if you need anything else, make sure you contact me. Um, If if something comes up and you want to talk about it more. Um, Also... That's fantastic because you don't always get that. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. So the, and also, please keep me up to date. Keep me updated with um, your findings as well. Yeah, interesting. Um, and that's from both the retired athlete 
this cohort, but also the National Sporting Organisation cohort. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously I'm not going to provide everyone with an 80,000-word PhD thesis because why would anyone, <laughs> why would people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> spend their week reading that? Um, mm. It's very interesting, obviously, from academics. But, yeah, so it'll be obviously putting that, translating that into, um, yeah. Digestible. Yeah, digestible yeah. pieces, how people are going to consume that. Um, but also, like, that, that's your different audiences there. So you've got athletes, you've got national sporting organisations. So how that's um, going to be received by different cohorts as well. Mm. Sort of probably have to think about that um, and how I, how I translate it into, yeah, ways that people are actually going to go, oh, okay, that's what... Okay, so that's the support that um, athletes are telling us that they need, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer your question? I can't. It does answer my yeah, question. Okay. Yeah. Although I wanted to ask further. So, yep. are you doing your thesis the traditional route, or are you going by compilation? Have you written some journal articles? No, I'm just doing traditional. Yeah. Not just. I shouldn't say the word just. <laughs> just a boring old yeah. eighty thousand word <laughs> <right>. <laughs> book. No one's gonna read it. <laughs> but I have to summarize it. You'll read everyone. it several times. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Me, supervisors. Um, <laughs> and we'll put it on the show notes page. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> that's right. Everyone can come along. And yes, but hopefully <laughs> next year, once I've got all my results collected and um, analysed, um, yeah, hopefully there's some publications that yeah, come okay. out. That might be dictated as well if you decide if you want to go into academia or back into back into industry. Yes, that's yeah. right. Definitely um, being encouraged by my supervisors to have mm. some publications. So Yeah. Yeah. It's good value in it either way, uh, mm-hmm. but as you say, if you want to translate your findings into actionable advice, mm-hmm. uh, I think that you're coming from a place of strength because you do have that industry experience. Mm-hmm. Are, are you an athlete yourself? No, I would not say that I was an elite <laughs> athlete. I played lots of sports, Yeah, um, and I actually coach three sports at this moment, not at a high level or anything, just community sure. participation level yeah. at school. Um, but yeah, no, I'm... I'm but yeah. you're you're in the you're in the space. You're, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You've got that mindset. You know how athletes think. Uh, maybe you're not coaching elite athletes, but you are speaking to elite athletes, yes. and you can yeah tease yeah. out the. So, you can be the translator, you know, from academies to uh, real world, yeah. quote unquote, for lack of a. I just gave every academic an existential crisis because I suggested <laughs> academia is not the real world. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think everyone takes my meaning. Yeah. Um, it might be interesting. Op- have you uh, just been working working with cyclists? I might have missed you say this before, or is it athletes from all? No, um, range of different sports. So, yeah, I understand why you've, you're, you're thinking cyclists because mm. of the Amy Gillett Foundation. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I have interviewed cyclists, but no, I've interviewed people from a range of sports. Mm-hmm. So that's um, at both the NSO, National Sporting Organisation level, and... Um, retired athletes from a number of sports so mm-hmm. netballers rowers tennis players gymnasts artistic swimmers cricketers there's probably more i just can't think off the top of my head yeah sure yeah but that's so there's an opportunity then for this to have far-reaching impact yes yeah yes that's right um and that was yeah kind of yeah the idea of talking to um people from different sports so obviously all sports have their own nuances um but a lot of the stories that i'm hearing from the athletes a lot of similarities sure yeah 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 that's not uh 
I was I was, hadn't heard the story of Amy Gillett before. That that happened before I moved to Australia. Uh, yeah, okay. two thousand five. Uh, that wasn't on my radar. So that was that. That's quite. Uh, that's yeah, shocking. Mm. Uh, so just with that, um, so the night before that crash happened in Germany, Amy had um, email. She she wanted to do a PhD herself. All right. Yep. So she had um, just finished her honours. Um, was training with the Australian road cycling team and she the night before that the crash happened she had emailed um, her potential supervisor saying yep I've got this idea I know what I want to do it's going to be around women and girls in sport um, so it's actually something that the Amy Gillett Foundation has wanted this research to be con- conducted mm. for quite a while carry out that legacy yeah, yes that's yeah. exactly the word it's the the legacy so it's, it's actually yeah, the legacy for this project that I'm doing is because that's that's the story. How Amy wanted to um, complete a PhD yeah. and just the timing, just the the night before that mm-hmm. the email was sent. Um, but then also her teammates that um, yeah experienced. They were also yeah yeah. Well, what is that? Does that, does that influence you or impact you at all in undertaking this study? Because you've just given me chills a little bit. It's very powerful. Yes, yeah, that's exactly right. Because, um, yeah, you, you, it's especially at times where you go, oh, you know, you're stuck in writing or you, or you get stuck at a part and you just need some advice or something. Can you go, no, there's a, really, there's a real need for this research. Um, and, that, and then there is that, that story story and the legacy around why this research is being conducted and why um, you know it's being funded as well mm. so and sometimes um, yeah I don't know what I'm going with that, <laughs> that <laughs> well, that's the, you answered the question All <laughs> yeah. Good. yeah it's 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 very uh, it's very impactful and powerful stuff and that's where as you say it, in the darkest moments of the PhD and uh, Anyone listening who's done or is doing a PhD knows what we're referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that if you have that, you know, you're almost carrying the torch in a way and you mm. don't want to be the one to let the flame go out. You want to keep them moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, there's that. I don't even think the word motivation is the right word to describe it, but mm. it's just, yeah, there's, 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 there's a really big reason why this is being undertaken and why I'm doing it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's almost a responsibility. Yeah, yeah, that's probably yeah. yeah, that's probably a better word than yeah. motivation. Did that enter yeah. into you choosing to do this particular project or did that all come along later? Um, elements of it. I probably didn't actually understand. Like I, would, I didn't know about the, the email the night before mm-hmm. until... Um, later on, um, later down the track in the process of um, getting the PhD underway and things. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I've been in sport for, uh, involved in sport for a long time, so I did know Amy Gillett and I knew the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that was yes and no, but I didn't know uh, yeah, more, didn't more of the, the whole depth. story. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. And, and I don't think many people would have known that mm. story because... Murray Drummond actually told me that story, so he was going to be her um, supervisor oh, for okay. her PhD. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. 
there you have it. Well, now, now, hopefully, a few people listen to this that don't know that, and uh, because that it's a it's a very powerful yeah. thing. Yes, and actually, yeah. it was also mentioned on the Tour de France com- um, coverage this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I can't remember the date. <laughs> oh, that's that's, <laughs> <But> <laughs> that's all. <laughs> yeah. So um, a couple of commentators, um, yeah, were talking about the research as well. Yeah. And the reason why, again, why this specific topic um, was decided upon for this um, PhD scholarship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, that's that sort of like stopped me in my tracks. That's how <laughs> I... But I, but I will move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are at this conference that we've that we've referred to, and you've you've kind of mentioned about uh, some presentations that you've seen. But we're it's the last day now. Uh, we're recording here at the end of the last day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said earlier before we started recording, this is your first in person conference. Yes. So how has it how's your experience been, and how has it compared to the online conference that you went to last year? What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, it's been great. Um, I've sort of been to lots of conferences, um, oh, okay. but not at not a SMANS conference, not an yeah. academic conference as such. Um, and I'm, we were talking about this earlier, I'm quite an extroverted person. I do like talking to people and finding things out. Um, I don't actually mind online conferences, to be, actually, to be honest with you. Um, there's certainly elements of online conferences that I like. You know, you don't have to take days off work or say that I can't work for, for you know, I have about five other jobs five <laughs> part-time jobs <laughs> um to travel but obviously so you know I like traveling as well so um but also online you can you know pick and choose a bit more the things that you're like yes I've definitely got to do this but the other thing is if you're at home at an online conference there's all these other things that can sort of someone knocks on the door or yeah. um something else happens and all of them all of a sudden something else takes a priority as opposed to watching someone's presentation Mm. um whereas when you're at you know face-to-face conference well i'm here i'm invested now so i'm gonna make doing the thing yes that's right so (laughs) you know there's no no nothing nothing's gonna come and distract me yeah um just some dork who asked you to come do a podcast (laughs) recording (laughs) that's right (laughs) no (laughs) no it's fine um yeah, so I, I'm either or. I like both. <laughs> yeah, okay. Online. As you say, it's it's uh, it's flexible. If I really wish we would keep at least a hybrid model, if not all of the presentations, at least have a room mm-hmm. where you could opt into doing a hybrid presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because even before the pandemic, it's not like getting from, say, New York to Australia is easy. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> And, and we've talked about all the benefits of a conference where you get the inside goss on research that people were doing. And, yeah. and maybe you're even seeing some preliminary findings that don't make it into final publications. And yeah. there's a lot of value in that, yeah. I think. Uh, and I think the other thing is, yeah, there's been a few um, presentations I've gone into that if I wasn't here and I just, I, I wouldn't have watched them online because I would have found something else to do but because mm-hmm. I'm here and because it's in between something else then oh I would never have actually watched that or thought about that and it's been yeah yeah eye-opening right yeah that's it yeah yeah, yeah. even if it's not related to your specific area yeah. of study it's still cool to see like what other people were passionate yeah. about and, yeah yeah and actually at, we did the I went to the HDR the student conference on the Gold Coast in July and it was also hosted with um this other group which was more hospitality ended up going to all these other 
um, hospitality PhD. Yeah. And quite different, isn't it? Oh, so interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, which you know, this is we're sport management, and that's what we love, and that that's really cool. But yeah. yeah, it was really interesting in July to go and you know listen to all these like I, there's words and commensality like I had never. I haven't heard of that either. <laughs> it's about I'll tell you, it's about eating together. So someone's ah. doing their PhD on people coming together and eating their meals. See, that's where, where was my invite to participate in that study? Because <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yes. <laughs> I want to sit down and eat. And someone's spending their time, their three, four years doing their PhD, yeah. researching that. So, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. that's, yeah, one of the, the, I mean, lots of benefits to a face-to-face conference, but, yeah, sometimes you go, just off the title, you wouldn't normally go into anything. Because yeah. I'd be like, I don't even know, what, what is the commensality? I don't even know what that word is. So, mm. why would I go and watch a presentation? But then it was like... Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. And yeah. I was asking questions. Like, I'm not a prolific question asker in that, <laughs> that scenario. But I was like, oh, this is something I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah. And now you've come home and whenever you're going to sit down with some friends and have dinner, you're like, let's well, all engage in some commensality. <laughs> and and I say, bring it, what? <laughs> and I bring it up all of the time. <laughs> I would too. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, this conference one day and <laughs> this thing that I learnt. I thought I was going for sport, but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's a nice blend of the, because they do have the hospitality and the tourism and the sport all in one. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite an interesting little melting pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, it was a good, yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, both conferences have been great. So, mm. yeah. That was an in-person one as well. There was no online option for the student conference in July. Yeah. Yeah. yeah gotcha. On the note of conferences then, mm-hmm. looking ahead, is there anything on the radar for you? Any other conferences that you have your eye on maybe attending? We sort of talked about public publications, but are you looking at that, uh, getting anything out there in whatever medium? Well, um, so definitely SMANS 2023. Mm-hmm. I will be presenting um, because I'll have all my results collected, analyzed, ready to get it out there. Um, so that will be obviously... In a year's time, so it'll be in Canberra. Um, we probably haven't spoken about that um, with my supervisors in such detail mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, also, I live in Brisbane, but I'm at Victoria University. So, um, all of my PhD has actually been online. Mm. like Remote, yeah. Literally all of it. Yeah. Um, I've only met my supervisors in person twice. Right. It was this year, and once was... <laughs> right outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had breakfast the other day, yesterday, before before the conference started. Um, yeah, so I've been... There's that. Anything you wanted to bring up thing? Here, here it is. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing... Um, yeah, my whole PhD, because obviously I started in 2020, mm-hmm. and I'm at a, a university that's based in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so Was there any talk about maybe moving to Melbourne, or you just you were happy to... Um, in 2020, definitely not because... Mm. Lockdowns here were pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and and like the universities in Melbourne especially, they had to very, very quickly transition into online um, delivery of, of courses and lectures and tutorials and things. Um, but then as we progressed, I did actually have this conversation with my supervisors and it was, well, you don't need to live here to do mm. your PhD. 
because all of my interviews have been conducted online. Right. Yeah, so, and everything, especially Victoria University, basically everything is delivered online as well. So we did our coursework online. So we had to do two um, subjects at the very beginning. So we had to do an ethics and integrity subject and a conceptualising and contextualising research subject. Mm -hmm. And we were in the very first um, PhD candidate cohort that were allowed to do that online oh, okay. and allowed meaning had to be done online because yeah. it was August 2022, oh, 2020, sorry, <laughs> um, when that happened, that was the only way mm, yeah. we could continue to deliver yeah. um, university courses. Um, yeah, so it was like, well, there's literally everything is online. So yeah. there's no, you could, you, I could do this. Even anywhere. if you came to Melbourne? I'd be doing, yeah, exactly. Wouldn't be anybody around. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still be sitting in house, apartment, whatever, yeah. on the computer yeah, doing wild. Zoom. And that's actually, it's interesting because in all the milestones you do for your PhD, there's always been a question around how has COVID impacted your PhD? Mm -hmm. And you read that question, you think, oh, that's a negative kind of connotation. But first of all, I probably wouldn't have started it. At that time, if it wasn't for sure. COVID, because, yeah, as I said, I was overseas at the time and had to come back very quickly. I think I had four days' notice um, to out. come back, yeah, um, thinking I was going to be overseas for a lot longer. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, how COVID has impacted my PhD is, I mean, I started it. it. You, you did it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then once you're in it, there was no, like, you know, there was, there was no, like, because I said, there was no sport jobs at the time yeah. there was nothing to yeah. kind of it's still been slow to come back yeah like even now two years on yeah so you yeah. kind of keep going and going oh okay yep so kind of really good time yeah to do it to get it done yeah um but also it meant things like interviews and coursework and things because everyone had to do it online on zoom i'd use zoom for everything because i feel like before then People had tried to do things on online and Zoom and remote meetings and things like that, and I just feel like the uptake was never. <laughs> yeah. People didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it, I and now everyone's just tired of yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And I remember, like, I remember leaving meetings with a heap of people, like Zoom meetings, and it just was a disaster because you'd get, you know, people couldn't hear anyone, and no one knew how to use the, no one knew what yeah. button to press. You're on mute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know how to get it started. People hadn't downloaded the, the, the you know, the Zoom software stuff. And, <laughs> but because of COVID, everyone had to learn yeah. how to... We're all experts now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, right. How do I share screen? Ah, well, you go here. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's actually meant that, like, it was just from the outset of my PhD, it was all my interviews were just, we're just going to do them online. Like, don't even... Because you can get them recorded literally the person that I'm interviewing and myself only need to, you know, schedule in 45 minutes to an hour mm -hmm. because there's no travelling time. There's no cost involved because no one's, you know, even if it was locally within, you know, close to where I live, there was no, like, parking or um, fuel costs or anything like that. Mm. So, yeah, it's actually been a um, really, really streamlined process because the whole yeah. thing is online. Yeah. yeah, and even if you came out the other side, as you say, because I, there's a couple people in my life who, I sort of said, look, if you ever thought about doing a PhD, now's the time, because, especially if you can get a scholarship, mm -hmm. 
Uh, and then any teaching that you do on top is just icing on the cake in terms of income. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you, you're guaranteed for the three years or whatever it is. And that, you know, maybe this, I mean, now we are coming on to the end of the third year of the pandemic, but yeah. there are worse places to hide during a pandemic than, especially if you can do it entirely online yeah. and be safe and all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What a fantastic outcome. As you say, it's for you, it's been a fantastic opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it, because I'm not, you know, I'm a qualitative researcher, so I'm not, you know, I'm not in a laboratory or anything like that. So I never had any of those kind of barriers or anything like that. So because I've spoken to other PhD students and they've had real issues because, you know, they couldn't go into the university to the lab. Yeah. Um, or I remember speaking with someone that was doing something around, yeah, road safety and trains and it was about people commuting to the city oh no <laughs> but obviously they couldn't yeah, everybody because stopped. they're in melbourne and no one was allowed to commute oh, into the city out. so um yeah when i listen to those sort of stories i go oh no i don't like that question that kept coming up around how has covid yeah. <laughs> impacted your research it's like um i've had to reschedule some interviews because someone's been unwell like that's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> Okay, we'll do it next week. <laughs> like, that was literally my response. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you can't ask for a better outcome no. in terms of <laughs> that particular question. Yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> uh, well, look, let's let's tie a bow on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much for this chat. Uh, and it's been nice. We've had a lot of offline chats, actually, in the, the preceding days to, to recording this. Uh, in fact, we were having such a good chat before we started recording that we we had to stop so that we could save some of it for the for the podcast. We're like, why are we doing this without the microphones on? And compose uh, ourselves. And compose ourselves. Yes, we did have a bit of a laughing fit yep. before we before we began. Uh, the last question that I ask everybody is: Could you tell us about something in your life that's not related to your PhD that you're excited about at the moment? Okay. All right. Not related to my PhD that I'm excited about. So I think I mentioned earlier I have about five part-time jobs Mm. um so i'm excited because i do lots of casual work um i'm excited next you know december january i don't really need to do those because a lot of those are out of school so i coach badminton i coach netball um and i also work in the boarding house at one of the girls schools in brisbane Mm. um so obviously school's out at the moment so i've got eight or nine weeks before um, I need to pick any of that up again. I've also started um, doing student teaching as well. So, um, I've, yeah, I've had a lot. I've done a lot this year. Um, Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to have a little bit of a break, yeah. but I'm still going to actually. I know the question was not. P- what are you excited about? Not PhD. I'm actually excited. Next couple of weeks, I can. <laughs> Nothing but the beast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> totally didn't answer that the way you wanted me to answer. <laughs> There's a way to frame it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah because you're right. It's uh, especially if you're trying to, you know, generate an income. Uh, you know, we all have to pay the rent, so uh, sometimes the PhD can fall to the back burner and uh, then you look up and it's a month later and you think oh geez I, I really need to get back into this so and you can almost feel like the PhD is your your safe your safe place you yeah. retreat back into it yeah <laughs> yeah the other work the work I do especially the coaching work I I just it's more I just like doing it 
as mm. opposed to any other yeah. um, financial gains. But it takes Not time it, and energy. Yeah. and Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But I, I love, I, yeah, I love the, I don't know, I, I really like doing those things. And I, yeah. Yeah, and also ki- because it, doing a PhD can be a very isolating experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as we were just talking about, I'm doing it remote, online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, literally everything's online. So, um, I need to do those other things um just also to stay connected yeah um i don't want to say the outside world because it's not like that but yeah just to to, um yeah also just to stay connected with the industry Mm. as well um especially the sports the sports side of it yeah um because that that was actually one of the things i was a little bit worried about when i was starting um my phd was I'm going to be out of the industry for four years and how's that going to be mm. like? Will it leave me behind? Yeah, yeah. exactly. In, um, from the industry side, not, not the academic side. Mm-hmm. I, did, I was actually, yeah, I did think about that a lot at the time. Um, but then I did, yeah, once sport and everything kept coming back and as I said, I was from Brisbane, so it wasn't as um, like lockdowns and things weren't like mm, in other places. Not as dramatic. Yeah, in yeah. A, and I think in Brisbane, uh, as opposed to the first one, I can't even remember the first March when it happened, mm-hmm. um, I think we only had 10 days lockdown. Right. Um, yeah, so it's not, so sport came back a lot quicker at yeah. that community level in, in Brisbane anyway. So um, I did remember thinking, oh, yeah, I'll start, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stay connected by the coaching and things that I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Because that was one of the things that we were we were speaking about before we recorded today. Was you were saying, uh, you know, you have that kind of extroverted energy, and you were saying sometimes you have a hard time sleeping if you haven't like connected with someone that yeah. day. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah, we were talking about yeah, extroverted and introverted. I'm definitely mm. an extrovert, but as I was saying, I'm not a. I'm going to get up on stage and sing you a song or anything. Well, that's not going to happen. It's not that kind of podcast. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're off the hook. That's right. I wouldn't have uh, answered your tweet otherwise. Um, and but you I, were the first one. I don't ah, know if you realise that. Well, see, yeah. there's a Twitter. I get to answer things on Twitter. And that's mm. how I ended up mm. doing the PhD. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and the opportunities, you've, you've taken them. Yes, yes, yeah. that's exactly right. Um so, yeah, not a very, like, traditional way of entering a PhD program. Mm. But, you know, we've all got our own stories. Um, yeah, so I'm definitely... She wouldn't have tweeted it if she didn't no, want to find somebody right. that way, so... <laughs> but, you know how I was also, like, always connected back to your PhD, but you know how I was saying one of the, um, the hardest things has been finding participants? Mm-hmm. The best way to find, like, is just... I had to stop joining... It, like joining into all these Facebook groups that I would never have been a member of. Right. Um, like sport-specific groups, um, retired athlete groups, etc. and hope I got accepted. Mm. And then um, start posting stuff in there. Okay. And asking other people to that I knew, like, is there any way you could put this that potentially we would I would be able to get some participants? So that social media side has actually, yeah, been really great yeah. in the recruitment and part. will be a valuable way for you as you were saying everybody wants to know about your findings yeah for you to communicate all of that back to them yes that's exactly yeah. right and i had that i had a similar conversation with um 
one of my supervisors as well about that, about, you know, sometimes I feel like I put the information out there but nothing, you know, I didn't get any responses or, you know, people were liking it and they were making comments and things but I wasn't getting any actual participants and mm-hmm. um, the response was, but that's part of, that helps you in being able to... Yeah, it's a numbers game. Yeah, that's right. And people, you know, people now know that the inf- the research is being conducted and they, they'll... they'll potentially be interested to find to see what the yeah. the findings are even in, you know it's pretty strict criteria that i'm looking mm-hmm. for my participants um not strict as in you can't be involved <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, yeah the yeah. qualifying yes, criteria yes, yeah. yes so um yeah i can't quite remember <laughs> where i was going with that <laughs> but yeah that social media side but also the extroverted thing yes so yeah. i am definitely a people person um can chat with anyone anywhere (laughs) um but yeah i do yeah that yeah that isolating part of doing a phd online remote i if i didn't do those other pieces that i said the coaching and working in the boarding house and i do um some research as well research projects for the university um yeah i I, for me personally i yeah i need that Mm. um otherwise uh, yeah I don't think I would sleep and then I think, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't want to know. No, that's right. That's right. So I keep doing the other bits. Even though I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a break. Give me about two weeks and I'll be bored again going, right. what am I right. going to do now? <laughs> I'll be talking everyone's ear off. Well, tonight um, we have the closing dinner. Yes. Lots of social opportunities and you have your homework from me. Yeah. to uh, try to make left eye contact with, with people. So if we do another episode of this at a future spans, you can report back to listeners. <laughs> that's another research project. Ben. That's right. That's, There's a whole PhD in that. <laughs> that's observational mm. um, method. That's right. I hope people take it the right way, though. <laughs> so they, won't, they, they won't even know what to do. No, they're that's right. That's right. That's right. We'll have to, we'll pre- maybe we can present that at the next... Um, yeah, that's right. Got nothing to do with sport. But <laughs> Or in a room full of sport academics, does it have everything to do with sport? Could be. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah, that's some really interesting research coming out mm-hmm. um, about yes. eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You better tweet we, uh, that so that everyone knows. No. No. No, I'm just going to let you do it. No, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, because everyone knows I'm doing it. Yep. Okay. (laughs) All right. We'll stop there. Ashley, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you.